Hello and welcome to the Millennial Ag Podcast, where agriculture is always on tap and no topic is off limits. Thanks for joining us today. Your co-hosts, Valian Likely and Catherine Lotzbeach. Welcome back, listeners. We're excited for episode 15 this week. Uh, we are trying to stay warm and the snow is melting here in Colorado, and I hope there's not any more storms coming through, but I'm not so promised with that. Uh, I am, this is Valine, and I am flying solo this week. Catherine is out, but I'm excited to introduce our guest this week. He is somebody I've known for the last 21 years, almost 22 years, and that is my little brother, Cole Likely. I guess he's not so much little anymore as he's now like 6'4 and can actually thump me. I don't tell many people that. Um, but we grew up as generational farmers and ranchers, and both of us have a strong passion for agriculture. Um, he's at the bottom of the millennial generation. Some consider him even part of the generational Z, but I thought he'd be somebody that would be fun to have on this week as he has, um, recently graduated from the university of Idaho in 2019 and has started his, um, risk management, risk management consultant at INTL FC Stone. So with that, I can't do his career justice at all. And honestly, I don't really know a whole lot about what he does. And that's why I've invited him on to explain a little bit about risk management and how being a millennial in the trading and commodity world works. So Cole, thank you for being on. Would you want to kind of dive a little bit more into who you are and your career? Yeah, well, thanks, Valley, and I appreciate you having me on. I'm excited that you and Catherine, Catherine are doing this, and I'm sad that Catherine couldn't be here today, but um, I'll try to give you a little bit of perspective out of a new young professional just out of college. So, as Valley said, I, uh, my, my title is a Risk Management Consultant with INTLFC Stone, and uh, I, I'm sure many of you are thinking, well, what in the hell is that? And And I get that all the time, so... So bear with me, I'll get into that here in a little bit. But, but before that, I was at school at the University of Idaho. I was up there for four years where I got two degrees, one in ag economics and one in finance. Um, and and school is kind of where my passion for this risk management career started. Um, I was fortunate enough to find the Barker Trading Program up there at the University of Idaho. And at the time uh, that I was a sophomore, freshman and sophomore, the program was mainly focused around the trading of stocks and equities, whether it was short-term trading or portfolio management type stuff. But um, w- when I was a sophomore, there was a couple professors and a couple students that had gotten together and, and said, we need, we need a little bit more uh, focus on the agricultural sector in this, in this trading program. And so um, starting, you know, three, four years ago, they created the Ag Commodity Risk Management Program, the, the arm of Barker Trading that focuses more on the ag side, uh, whether that is risk management, hedging type stuff, or whether that's just trading. Um, so I was, I was, like I said, I was pretty fortunate to be there. Uh, that's kind of where my passion got started. I, I had a few professors that were just wonderful. They had incredible experience. They had incredible knowledge. Uh, I met some of my mentors uh, from the advisory council, and like I said, I just got a passion for this industry. I, I love the high-paced attitude of, of the people that were in it. And I love the, the goal of the industry, you know, to help farmers to manage their risk, that kind of stuff. So, Cole, I'm, 
a common Joe farmer, rancher, and an engineer. But I don't really understand what you mean when you're talking about risk management. And I'm guessing quite a few of our listeners don't. Can you maybe dive into what risk management is? Well, thanks, Valerie. That's a, that's a great question. And I get that asked all the time. I get puzzled looks when I try to explain to, to random people who aren't uh, involved in this industry, what, what in the heck is risk management or what do you do? And so risk management or, or hedging, as I like to call it, is, is simply just transferring the risk from one party to another. And I'll get into that in a second. But one, one easy way to think about it is like um, a car insurance holder and the car insurance company. So the car insurance holder will pay a premium every month to the company and they, that transfers the risk of the, the monetary responsibility if they were to get into a wreck from the policyholder onto the insurance company. And that's what we try to strive for uh, in this industry with farmers and producers. So they're the ones that have the price risk. They're uh, in trouble if their inputs, the price, price appreciates. If it goes up, it's more than it is now. But they're also in trouble if their end commodity, whether it's milk, whether it's wheat, whether it's corn, whether it's beef, if that commodity depreciates. So what we're doing is we're taking that, that price risk and we're using a, a market, we're using an avenue, an exchange to transfer that risk onto somebody else. And that's who we call the speculators. And, and you've probably seen a lot of movies, whether it's trading places, whether it's movies about Wall Street. And it, that's, that's how the industry used to be, but that's still... That's still kind of the idea of it. So there's all those people that are trying to make money. Um, and, and what we're doing is taking or uh, letting those producers, uh, ha- giving those producers access to those markets. So they're transferring their risk to those speculators. The speculators will take the opposite position. Well, Cole, thanks for that definition and kind of dumbing it down um, for me, at least, because it's a whole nother language. But I hope you're a little more liked than the insurance agents um, that I've dealt with in the past and that the producers like you a little more than some of the insurance agents. Well, yeah, and that's a, that's a good point. And usually the, the speculators, those guys on the other side of the table are the, the ones that we don't like, the, the big banks that hold the other sides of the positions. They think that the, the producers sometimes think that those guys are the ones that are moving markets. But we try to think of ourselves as a you know, as a compliment or a support staff for those farmers. We're just giving them access and, and helping them find a price level that they can live with and they can stay profitable at and, and giving them access to, to do that. So you're kind of a professional middleman, essentially, and taking the stress over off of the common producer and, and guiding them to make an educated decision on where, where they should invest their money or how they should uh, manage their risk for their operations. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, exactly. And and maybe to to help people understand a little bit more, we're also the you know the consulting portion of of my title is also to help people with their marketing decisions. Um, uh, historically, farmers had one option, and that was to sell their grain when they harvested it, and that's how the whole exchange and trading got started. And then we had forward contracting, where the farmer producer could just contract at any time when they liked the price um, that they were quoted for, for, you know, three months down the road. We're, we're helping them do similar things to that, but we, 
we have a lot more diversity in our options of tools to help do that. And I won't get into the weeds of all the different tools, but there are, but there's a lot and that that's, that's what we're getting paid to do is, is helping them make the best decision for their operation. Well, that's really interesting. And, and as a consultant myself, I kind of understand some of the challenges that you might entail, but in your short time as a consultant and in this, have you found any challenges or what's your biggest challenge you faced as a consultant? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think that probably the biggest, biggest struggle that we have is convincing people to, to trust us with their money, to go and, and, and use their money to help manage their risk. And I, sorry, that, that was a little bit confusing there, but th- there's what we call a margin in the business. And to be able to, to trade, to be a player in this uh, exchange, you have, to, you have to put up some money uh, right away. And it can get kind of expensive. Uh, and, and some of the farmers, especially the smaller farmers, don't have enough capital um, they don't have a great relationship with their banker, whatever it may be, to have that capital to be able to put up against it. So that's 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 one challenge. Another challenge is, you know, it's it's a great topic for this podcast, but the the difference in generations. Uh, the older generation, if they're still in business today, it, it means they've done something right, and so they're uh, so some of them are are pretty unwilling to change in what they've done, and um, that that makes it pretty difficult. But I think that we have a pretty good answer to that. And that's the commodity markets today aren't, aren't what they used to be. The volatility has increased probably since the mid 2000s. Um, and it's increased exponentially. There, there's a lot more price risk, whether it's the, the, the dairymen having, you know, the federal milking orders. Uh, th- those have changed a little bit internationally. Prices have changed as we've become more of a globalized uh, commodity market or a globalized economy all these commodities are trading and something that happens in Australia can now affect our markets. And so it's, it's becoming more volatile, unlike some of the market, uh, the markets that they were in, in the past. And so that's, that's my answer. You know, yes, you've been, you've been profitable and you've done well, but let's take it to the next level and let's ensure that you're profitable for the next 80 years. Now that's, I think, great advice and trying to bridge some of those generational gaps. You and I have had this conversation before and how, how complicated it can be. But I'm, I was fascinated when you were talking about the market volatility worldwide. And especially with the older generations, they might not have seen that growing up or when they first started in the business. And I think with, with the social media, with the news, with the readily available things we're able to see oh no australia has this outbreak or the african swine flu has killed this many pigs in china and just the scary thought whether it's actually happening or not seems to play a role in the markets is that true and do you see that that's sometimes hard to communicate with generations that haven't had this access to social media or the news or were brought up a lot earlier than we were yeah, I think I think you're exactly right. I think the volatility has has increased, like I said, partially because of of the news and and social media and and things like that. I I know that there's one one specific instance that I can relay to you guys. I won't name any names, but I somebody that that I'm very close to that has a very close tie to the the markets, the commodity markets, um, told me once that recently, within the last five years, 
there was a, uh, a, a person on Twitter that, that posted a tweet about a outbreak of a certain swine herd in Canada. And, you know, within, within probably 30 seconds of that being tweeted, we saw markets become volatile and, and go up a dollar and then come back off. And, and so there's a per- perfect example of that, that influencers even in, in some of these uh, more lightly traded markets and lightly traded like swine is or, or lean hogs is a lot it is it's kind of tough to say because there's you know million contracts or whatever but but a lot more lightly traded than say corn which is a a bigger market and so things like the dairy market things like the beef market things like the the lean hog market they're they're pretty impacted by little things like that and if if something were to break on social media it's especially twitter it's kind of funny but especially twitter then that can I, I, I believe that that can have an effect on markets. That's, it's crazy how they can um, impact them so greatly. Do you see any um, impact from one commodity to the next, to the next? So say hogs and corn and beef and dairy, and is there some conflict there or are they all kind of independent of each other? Oh no, they're, they're, they're definitely inter, intermingled. Uh, you know, whether it's the, the feeder cattle contract, which are, you know, 850 pound uh, steers and heifers that are ready to be placed on feed to get fattened and the corn market, those are very, very tied in together because if corn's really high, then the demand for feeder cattle aren't going to be that good. Um, you know, whether that's the amount of beef in the United States and the, the price of milk, if the price of milk is bad and, and dairy farmers are needing some quick cash flow, then they're going to start culling some more cattle. You know, they're, they're, they're very, very connected. And I, I don't think we should say that they're battling each other. One has precedent over the other, whatever that is, but they do depend on each other and they they have an effect. If, if one market has, has some sort of event or is trending a certain way, then you're absolutely going to see that. And I think that it's foolish to say that you that you would. So maybe taking a different twist on this because this is the millennial ag podcast and I am um, a fan of kind of the personal aspect of of understanding this but do you see that because of the conflicts or the reactions of different commodities with each other that it has a personal twist or a personal um, conflict say between the beef and dairy people or the um, corn and beef guys or vice versa hmm um you know i you, you hear grumblings like if 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 we see prices like we do right now in the in the milk market that that dairymen are, are able to make a profit say right now because milk prices are good then you kind of hear grumblings from the beef guys oh those dairymen are making profits but it, it, it's not bad i don't see it firsthand as much as you guys talk about a little bit um, where I see it though is the different levels in the supply chain. Um, right now we're seeing a lot of uh, frustration and anger coming from, and I see it personally coming from uh, the feeders versus the packers versus the end users and exporters. A lot of people are pretty upset with the packers because their margins are so good. And so there's a, there's a huge conflict there, which is, which is pretty sad because that's, you know, that they're, they're a working relationship and they should have good relationships because that's, that's where the packers are getting all their beef from. And that's the buyers that the, that the feeders are selling to. 
and uh, you can make arguments either way, but that's that's where we're seeing it. Whether it's the the, the milkers too, the the dairymen and the processors, we see a little bit of frustrations and head heads butting there. Or whether it's the big the big grain companies and the corn farmer in the Midwest. Uh, to me, that's where I see more of the conflict and frustrations rather than intracom or intercommodity. Yeah, that makes sense because it seems like when those big packers or those processors make money, it's on a whole different scale than when mom and dad are making, you know, money or shipping calves or whatever. It's just a different scale. How do you maybe suggest that we work past some of this conflict and move towards having maybe some civil conversation or is there any way of kind of easing producers or easing that frustration with, with the packers or the processors? Yeah. I, I don't know if I have an answer to that. I think that it ebbs and flows with how, how people are doing in their business. And sadly, I think, I think that uh, there, there's so much emotion when it comes to money and how much money people are making that when, when times are good for the farmer, it's not that big of a deal. When times are bad though, it's the, it's somebody else's fault. And so I you know whether that's coming together to, to actually, uh, actually proving to people that sharing your feelings is, is a good thing and that we can do that. Um, you know, whether that's mental health, whatever that may be, I think that you're onto something that, having conversations is really good. And sometimes the farmers don't see um, those bigger companies, that next level, they, they don't see face to face with them. They, they think that the bigger companies are, are bigger than them and they think that they're better than them. And so they, they kind of close up and, and get holed up. And I think that it's a little bit of compromise on both sides. I think that these, the, the bigger processors, the packers, whoever it is, needs to come come to these farmers levels and and talk to them but the the farmers on that level also need to come to the table and be open-minded and willing to listen um, and there's there, there's a few things in, in each um, each separate commodity group you know in the, the beef the dairy that I think that I would like to see differently but I think that the overall if I were to give one overall, idea that's what it would be just being more open-minded and having conversations i think that's great and on any level i find myself even getting close-minded to to whatever i'm doing whether it's my day-to-day job or my own entity of beef cattle or whatever you you get in the day-to-day task and that's that's all you know so sometimes taking a step back and looking at the big picture but it's sometimes hard for Um, the producer to relate to a corporate mentality and not saying corporate's bad, but just corporate is different than what our family operation is. So I think even having this conversation and I really appreciate your, your thoughts around um, just being open-minded and having the courage maybe to reach out to your processor and have those, those conversations, which they might not pick up the phone or they might not answer an email or there might be a chain, but Maybe we need to start having the conversations or understanding how those big, those big corporations do operate and what, what drives them to do what they do. So, Cole, I've really enjoyed having you on today, and I really appreciate your outlook and kind of getting the, the money side of things because that's not something 
I know much about or the trading. I shouldn't say money. I, I feel like I know a little bit about money and can balance a checkbook. But when it comes to risk management and that sort of thing, I really appreciate it. But what would you recommend to um, either high school seniors or even college level students when they get ready to pick a career or head out into the workforce since you're a new grad, what would, advice would you give to them? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Valine. And I, I think that I have people to, to thank for, for giving me guidance when I was at that level too. So I, I appreciate you asking. And I think that, that uh, everybody should listen to, to, to other people's opinions because they've, you know, they've had the experience. Um, I, I, I don't think I can narrow it down to just one, sorry. I, but the, the three big things that I uh, would say are, are one, network, two, hustle, and, and three, save. And they're all pretty different. Um, and I'll just talk about each one briefly. One, network. You're in the time of your life now that you're, you have the opportunity to, to knock on doors. You have the opportunity to shake hands. And people won't, most likely won't turn you away. You're in college. You're there to learn. You're there to network. That, you know, that, that's the platform that you, you have. So, so do it. Whether that's you know, asking somebody to introduce you, whether that's joining a local organization or association so you can network that way, or whether that's just looking up online, finding somebody that you like, connecting with them on LinkedIn and asking them questions, messaging them or picking up the phone, you know, pester them until they, they give you an answer. That's, that's some of the success that I've had is just, is just being persistent and getting the mentors that I want. Um, uh, to hustle, um, once you get out of, or once you're in college and, and the few years after that, you're going to be pretty much free to work as hard as you can. And I'm not saying, you know, down the road, you won't be able to work as hard as you can either, but this is a time where you don't have kids. You don't have as much holding you back. You can, you can work as hard as you can. You can hustle as I like to say. So that means, um, picking the jobs that people in your group don't like to do, or whether that's staying late one night to make phone calls because you think the farmers are going to be there or have a better chance to pick up the phone later, whatever you do, just hustle, uh, do that extra thing, go beyond it because I promise you, you work hard now, it's going to translate to success in the future. And then last, I always like to, to plug this when I can because I'm a strong proponent of it and it is outside of uh, your professional work or this career or anything like that. But I would say save. When you have money, just save. And uh, I know that there's some people that wish they had a little bit of uh, guidance on this when they were younger. And they tell me now, gosh, I wish I would have been in your shoes again so I could start saving. So I'm, I'm happy and um, very fortunate to be in the position where I am, where I had mentors that told me to do that. And so when you get out, no matter what you're making, just put some away. I see a lot of my peers now that are spending on money on things that they don't need. Um, I, I've been told 15% of your salary is a great way to start. So uh, it's kind of a shameless plug, but, but please save. You'll, you'll be happy. Your, your 40-year-old self, your 50-year-old self, your, your kids going to college will be happy that you did this young. Well, in most companies, I think offer, you know, a match or some kind of thing for their retirement too. So it's even though like for us, retirement seems forever away and I don't even want to think about it, but it comes out of my paycheck every time and my employer matches it. So I think looking at those opportunities, if I'm um, going to jump on the save bandwagon with you, I think is, is, is a great, great thing for anybody at any stage of life to be doing. And I, 
I love all your advice and something that I think we can hopefully in the future dive a little bit deeper into because I think the hustle and the um, willingness to network is something that sometimes as millennials, I feel like we, we get stereotyped into, we don't do that. We don't hustle. We don't network. Everything's handed to us willy nilly, but I think it looks like it might be handed to us because we've taken that step to network. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And you can, you can absolutely look at, you know, uh, from where at, where I'm at in my career. Um, maybe, maybe people would say, Oh, you're there because, um, this person who used to work at the CME, uh, introduced you to this person. So you have a contact there or whatever it is. Well, there was a lot of groundwork laid, laid down that, that those people don't see. So you're exactly right, Valine, that, that, People may see something on the outside, but I promise you, if you work hard, you hustle, you network, you're going to be, you're going to be exactly where you want to be. Well, thank you, Cole, again for joining us. And as a final plug, if somebody is interested in risk management or hiring you to, as a consultant um, with risk management, can you tell them how they can find you or what way to go about that? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that. Um, I, I appreciate that. And I'll, I'll say one quick thing too. It doesn't matter how big you are. Um, a lot of people think that to be able to hedge, to be able to manage your risk, you need to be a, a big feedlot or a big, a big corn grower, a big dairyman. And that's just not true. So anybody, I, I'd love to talk to anybody about risk management because we can, we can have fit a program to anybody's size. Um, yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Just look me up. Cole likely I'm on Twitter. Look me up. Cole likely. Um, if you have any questions about uh, risk management itself, uh, email me, shoot me an email, cole.likely at intlfcstone.com. I'd love to chat about anybody. If, if you have questions about the career or, or any more questions about what I said today, please reach out. And thank you, Valine, for having me on. Thank you. And thank you listeners for tuning into this week's episode. We had a great time talking with Cole and we hope that you're having a fun, warm holiday season. And if you're like me, Amazon Prime showing up daily because I don't want to put any effort into actually going to the store. So happy holidays and tune in next week. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Millennial Ag Podcast. Feel free to reach out to us, provide feedback, and submit your questions. Our email address is Catherine at millennialag.com. That is Kit. Catherine with a K A T H A R I N E. And please follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Also, rate us on your favorite podcast platform.